DiscerningHearts.com presents St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. Mike Aquilina is a popular author working in the area of church history, specializing in patristics, the study of the early church fathers. He is the executive vice president and trustee of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, a Roman Catholic research center based in Steubenville, Ohio. He is a contributing editor of Angelus Magazine and a general editor of the Reclaiming Catholic History series from Ave Maria Press. He is the author or editor of more than 50 books, including St. Joseph and His World, the book on which this series is based. He has hosted 11 television series on the Eternal Word Television Network and is a frequent guest commentator on Catholic Radio. St. Joseph and His World, with Mike Aquilina. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back, Chris. You know, every chapter is just a jewel in St. Joseph and his world. Well, thank but, you. Well, you're welcome. And it, each one, I'm so excited to talk to you about it. But this one, chapter five, Joseph and his angels. Well, this is a, a chapter of dreams, <laughs> literally. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's uh, it's not something we think much about. As, as I said earlier, I I think that Joseph deserves some attention for these four angel appearances, these angelophanies, as the professionals say. He experienced an annunciation of sorts four times where the angel had to had to clarify for him what was happening, what he should do, how he should respond. And these are rather remarkable in the scripture records. It's one of the most extended interactions with an angel that we see in both Testaments. Yeah, it's quite fascinating that Matthew who's, again, writing primarily for a Jewish audience, would make a point of including these stories. Because as you've shown us, there was, at that time, an appreciation and a great respect for the angels. Yes, you know, you, you see the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are Jewish documents that were discovered in the 1940s in the desert, in the Holy Land. And they're filled with references to the angels. And they viewed life in their times as a struggle between good angels and dark angels, that there was this warfare going on in history, and it involved the forces of good, the forces of evil, both human and angelic. And there were all kinds of tips for, uh, for dealing with the angels who were on your side. The people who produced the Dead Sea Scrolls, most likely the Essenes, were really plugged into this idea, and they were concerned that the faithful you know, those Jews who are observant, who are keeping the law, should fight that warfare and should win. It would give Joseph, a man who really does not speak at all in the scriptures, it would give him a great deal of authority, wouldn't it? I mean, and respect by those who would read this. Yes, I think so. And also it would, I believe, just seem normal to the people who were in that circle, the people who had grown up in that religious culture where devotion to the angels was just part of life. It was part of the liturgy in the synagogues. It was part of the liturgy in the temple. And it was part of the speculative documents that we find among the the Qumran covenanters. All of this was part of popular religious culture. There was an intense devotion to the angels. And, And really, we can see that throughout the canonical scriptures. I think because we Americans are by nature materialists, we have this tendency to edit 
these spiritual creatures out of the stories. But mm-hmm. they're always there in the Old Testament. They're always there in the New Testament. And they're not bit players. They're not ornaments on the picture frame. They're right there at the center of the action. You know, you look at the book of Genesis and St. Augustine, St. Ambrose, the fathers of the early church read the book of Genesis as if the, the angels were there at the center of the drama from the very beginning of the narrative. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, St. Augustine asks, what are the heavens? You know, at that time, he's not talking about the sky there. He's not talking about the heavenly bodies that we behold when we look through a telescope. No, he's talking about the spiritual realm. And when he talks about the earth, he's talking about the material realm. The spiritual realm is the realm of the pure spirits, those created beings who worship before the throne of God in heaven. And these include many, many different kinds of spiritual beings the cherubim, the seraphim, the thrones, the dominions, the angels, the archangels. We tend to summarize them all, you know, lump them all together as angels, because angels would be the spiritual beings most likely to come in contact with humans. Why? Because angels are messengers. That's what the word angel means. It means messenger. You would use that to describe the postman or anyone else who delivers a message. The angels are the heavenly messengers, and they're there all through the book of Genesis. They're there all through the book of Exodus. They're there through the writings of the prophets. There's a beautiful scene of the calling of Isaiah, you know, where he's priest ministering in the temple, and he beholds the heavenly liturgy. And there he sees the spiritual beings, and he's you know, struck with awe. He's humbled, driven to the floor. He says, woe is me, you know, for I am a, a sinful man. So it's there in the, the book of the prophet Isaiah, you read Ezekiel, you read Daniel, and these Old Testament prophets, their works are saturated with angelic presence. And it continues in the New Testament. We find the angels active around the nativity of our Lord, and they're there in full force. We find them in the life of our Lord, in the ministry of our Lord. They're taking care of our Lord when he's fasting in the desert. They're there helping the apostles through the acts of the apostles. They're helping the church grow. And in the book of Revelation, we have probably the most angel-saturated book of the Bible. So this is the religious culture of biblical faith. This is the religion of the Old Testament. It's the religion of the New Testament. If we don't notice this, if we don't observe devotion to the holy angels as much as we should, well, it's probably because we, as a religious culture, have become too materialist. That wasn't going to be my uh, next question to you, because just listening to you, Mike, it makes me kind of sad because we don't seem to have that kind of openness. We tend to sentimentalize the angels and I think, and or we make them, I don't know, fanciful characters in movies and in, in different type of productions today. And yet, this is a very important, a strong, strong everyday reality. And we trivialize it. I say that, and I don't mean to be irreverent when I do. No. Do you think that's true? It is, of course. You know, we see it's a wonderful life, and it is fun Christmas movie. But yeah, the portrayal of angels there is is theologically inaccurate, to say the least. And it is 
sentimental and it is comic. You know, they're made to be buffoons. And we find that in a lot of popular culture, they're there kind of as a joke, comic relief to the real drama, which we see as the worldly action in the movie's plot. So yes, you know, we see things, I think, in an essentially different way from our biblical ancestors, our ancestors in the faith. This is not the way the fathers of the church viewed reality. This is not the way the medievals viewed reality. As you pointed out, it was something that's every day. It was part of ordinary life, and it should be part of our ordinary life as well. We should have an awareness of our guardian angel, as our Lord pointed out, each of us has a guardian angel, and we should have a gratitude at least for that angel's help, and we should call upon that angel. Well, why do we have to call upon them? Why can't we just let them do their thing? Because heaven never coerces us. Heaven never forces our hand. Heaven always respects human freedom, because that's the way God made us. God made us as free creatures, creatures who are free to love, who are free to obey or to disobey. And so heaven presents itself to us and gives us the grace, but we have to correspond to every grace we're given. And one of the great graces we're given is the ministry of our guardian angel. The the guardian angel will help us and will do everything in his power to get us to heaven, to help us on the road to a holy life and a happy life. But we have to correspond. We have to consent to that. Consent is very important in the realm of the angels, in the realm of the divine. You can't have love without that. And so when we practice the traditional devotions to the guardian angels, well, then we're consenting to their work in our lives. We're saying, yes, yes, please come into my life. I want to work with you. I want to get to heaven. I want to love God. Help me to do that effectively. All we have to do is stay in touch with the tradition. There's the the great guardian angel prayer that so many of us learned from our mothers when we were young. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to light and guard, to rule and guide. Well, doesn't that describe the role of the angels in the life of St. Joseph and in the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary and in the life of so many other New Testament figures, Old Testament figures. When we practice this devotion, we're living the life they lived. We're living faithfully to the revelation that we've been given by God. And we're living freely in cooperation with that biblical vision that we've been given in both Testaments. You make me want to reach over my bookshelf and grab A Year with the Angels by a guy (laughs) named Mike Aquilina because... That was, I mean, I reading that book, I don't mean to digress, Mike, but I think people listening are going to, this is great. You get excited. Yes. The thing that, that struck me as I started studying the early church fathers is that the first Christians had this intense devotion. There's that great scene in the Acts of the Apostles where Peter is imprisoned. He's imprisoned with double chains, and it looks very likely that he's going to die, that he's going to be executed because he's inconvenient to the authorities who are reigning in Jerusalem at the time. What happens? In the middle of the night, his angel just goes bing, bing, and knocks the chains off Peter's limbs, right? And frees him. 
Peter describes he's walking out as if he's in a dream, right? And the, the angel does this beautiful thing before they leave the prison. He picks up Peter's cloak and puts it around him. And that's a beautiful touch. It's a beautiful detail that St. Luke was inspired to give us. Why? To show that what the angel is exercising there is tenderness, is true love, is true concern. Who would do that? Who would pick up my coat and put it on me before I went outside in the night chill? My mother would do that. Mm -hmm. My mother would do that. And what that shows us is that our guardian angels who have been with us since the moment of our conception love us the way our mothers love us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know. It also corresponds very closely with what we see of the ministry of the angels in the life of St. Joseph. This is an amazing thing. We have these four angel encounters with St. Joseph that are described in the first two chapters of the Gospel according to Matthew. In those, we show a tender concern for Joseph, a tender concern for the welfare of the Holy Family. And it's, it's exercised how? Well, the angel lights and guards, rules and guides. This is what we pray for in our traditional angel prayer that many of us learned from our parents when we were very small. So this is something that was part of Joseph's life that the fathers of the church were faithful to and the medievals were faithful to. And I would love for us to be faithful to in our own time. And that's why I have this chapter in the book, which is entirely devoted to St. Joseph and the angels. We'll return to St. Joseph and his world with Mike Aquilina in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. From a letter from St. Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Be strengthened in the Lord in the might of his power. Put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness on high. Therefore, take up the armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil every day and stand in all things perfect. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of justice and having your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace, in all things taking up the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all fiery darts of the most wicked one. And take for yourself the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. 
With all prayer and supplication, pray at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is a nonprofit research and educational institute that promotes life transforming scripture study in the Catholic tradition. Founded by Dr. Scott Hahn and with current Vice President Mike Aquilina, the Center serves clergy and laity, students and scholars with research and study tools, from books and publications to multimedia and online programming. The St. Paul Center welcomes you to their free online studies. Whether you're studying scripture for the first time, looking to take your studies to a higher level, or whether you're ready for advanced training, you've come to the right place. In addition, for each track of study, they recommend books that will enhance your study in prayer and build your library of essential works in biblical theology and spirituality. The studies are free. Just visit SalvationHistory.com to view a complete library. We now return to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aguilina. As I've said in previous episodes, in our conversations, we're just touching. It's like the tip of the iceberg. And when you enter into these chapters by picking up the book, and I just want to encourage people to do that because you can sit and ponder. You give us you know, so much information about the angels, Mike. And also, you helped us to appreciate that Joseph, because of this, because of this steeping, this understanding, this appreciation, he is completely open to the movement. When these encounters happen, it's, of course, yes, there's an affirmation he believes. I, I wish we could be like that. <laughs> Maybe if we were, we would be able to be led a little bit more closely along the way. Yes, you, you never see any shock or surprise in St. Joseph. It's as if, oh, yes, you know, uh, <laughs> this mm -hmm. is guidance from an angel. I'd better follow it because it's something he's accustomed to doing from his earliest childhood. Well, in that the first appearance, of course, it is to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. She bears a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow, what a message. It is a great message. Uh, there's this great commentary on the Synoptic Gospels that came out uh, last year or the year before from Father Thomas Wynandy, one of the members of the International Theological Commission. And the title is Jesus Becoming Jesus. And the, the idea behind that title is that Jesus more and more fulfills his name every day that more and more he becomes the Savior because he's saving new souls every day. And this is going to continue throughout his earthly life, but it will continue throughout time that Jesus will become ever more Jesus because he will save ever more souls down through history. Yeah, it is amazing. There's the moment of the visitation with Mary and Elizabeth, but in a very real way, in the public setting, when Joseph declares his son, mm -hmm this child, Yeshua, yeah. he says, God is salvation. He really is one of the first evangelists. <laughs> yes, he is. And think about the effect of that decision. We may not think much of it when we read that, but it was something quite unusual to buck the naming conventions of your tradition. And it was traditional to name a male child after your father or your grandfather, and he didn't do that. 
he gave this child the name that was given to him by the angel that was an unusual move at the time it would have been um it would have been noticed and it was an act of faith you know if you think about the effect of that decision it was just enormous because every time we pray we pray to jesus by name and we call out the name that joseph gave him so this name that's so dear to us this name that brings us peace when we pray it is a name that was given to to Jesus, and it was a name that was handed to us, really, by St. Joseph. We should be grateful to him for giving this name that we still call all these many centuries later. Yeah, and then that second appearance when, of course, he's told he has to rise up, get up, and take the child to Egypt because Herod, imagine that, Herod is trying to kill him. The angel names Herod the Great yes. as someone who has targeted the child yes and his family and you think about this uh, you know just the shock of it at the time because herod is the most powerful man in joseph's world herod has the military at his disposal herod has a track record for massacre herod has also has a track record for getting what he wants so if you find out that herod is looking for you that's a scary thing that's a very scary mm-hmm. thing, and it's hard to imagine anything scarier in this world than to have this murderous tyrant who is all-powerful looking for you and looking for your family, for your beloved wife, for your beloved child. And so you, you can only imagine the very natural fear that arose in the, the heart of Joseph at that time. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Fear is a natural and even physical response to danger. You know, mm-hmm. fear is a normal thing and it's a healthy thing. We fear the things that can harm us and so we preserve our lives. This is a way of marshalling our energy to fight off those things or to avoid them. Fear is, is a very good thing and I'm sure that he was feeling it at that time for himself and on behalf of his wife and his child. But he had to be as clear-headed as possible, and he had to rely as much as possible on the pure intellect of the angel, because it's a very dangerous time. He had to make some very fast decisions. Think of the possessions he must have had. He had to decide which he was going to take and which he was going to leave, because he would need to travel light in order to move swiftly over more than a thousand miles to reach the refuge where it made most sense to go, to Egypt. Yeah, because in this long travel that he's going to take, he's taking not just himself getting up and walking the distance, but he's got a woman who has just given birth and a tiny baby yes, now. Yes, a nursing mother, you know, so, you know, you have this element of unpredictability that's introduced into the mix and, and also an element of noisiness from a crying baby because you want to be as quiet and unnoticed as possible, especially if you're traveling by night. You don't want anyone to hear that voice, that telltale voice that would reveal, well, here is a child in the age range that Herod is looking for. So yeah, this would have been quite an ordeal he was undergoing at this moment. Matthew tells it with understatement, but we should see it in its fullness, really. It's fullness that involves both heaven and earth. Yeah, because when you think about it, this moment comes after so many incredible things. 
in the Holy Family's life, not only the birth of the child and the witness of the shepherds, but then what happens in the temple. And then with that proclamation, and Joseph is taking all the sin, he's present for that, and then the visit from the Magi. And so he knows there's something very real about all of this. The world may not understand or know any of it. So when the angel comes to him, absolutely. He's on mission, isn't he? Yeah, yes. You know, uh, you have one after another confirmation of the fact that this is an extraordinary conception. This is an extraordinary birth. This child is destined for great things. And all of that, Joseph, is entrusted to you. Mm. It doesn't say he suffered anxiety, thank God. (laughs) You know? Yes, yes. (laughs) Like grace, maybe. But then even two years later, here they are, they, and we'll talk a little bit more about their travels in another episode, but you know, now they've settled in Egypt and he gets another message, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. Uh, yes. It seems to me that he probably got the word of Herod's death before the heralds arrived. Mm-hmm. This would have been very important news in that geographic region, you know, because Herod was a major player on the world stage. He was an important figure in geopolitics. Uh, he was important to the Romans and he was important to to the, the people and the, especially the rulers in the neighboring countries. So word would have reached Egypt pretty quickly, but it's likely that Joseph knew even before the heralds arrived, even before the news arrived, that Joseph heard from the angel immediately upon Herod's death, and he was able to pack up the family and begin the journey home. And this is an important thing, not only for him, but also for history, because what he's doing there is recapitulating the events in the Old Testament exodus. You know, Israel was sold into slavery in in Egypt, labored in Egypt for centuries, and then was liberated by God and was able to return to the Holy Land. So we see the Holy Family retracing the steps of um, the chosen people as they went to Egypt, and then retracing the steps as they were liberated and were able to make their way back to the promised land. Again, they didn't have 24-7 news. Mm-hmm. Right. The word comes back. He probably, as you said, you, you beautifully put this into perspective and context. He probably was praying, now what, Lord? Now what? I think it could be said that Joseph is, could be a patron for discernment because he doesn't just, on his own whim, okay, I hear he's dead, let's go back but he takes time and waits for that heavenly message. Right, and it's not as if his vocational path is without obstacles. In the case of Joseph, we see his vocational choice challenged again and again and again and again. And I think that each time we see the breakthrough coming because of the ministry of angels. And so this too should teach us, especially those of us who are trying to discern what happens next in life. Where does God want me to go? Well, it should teach us to go to the, the guardian angels and invoke their help, ask them you know, to guide us, you know, light and guard, rule and guide, as I said before, and go forward with their assistance the way the Holy Family did. This just exemplifies the care that you've taken, Mike, in breaking open the story for us, because I don't know about others out there, but... I didn't appreciate that there was a fourth visit. 
I think sometimes that visit where he's told to rise and go to Egypt, I totally pass over the fourth one where he's guided on the journey mm-hmm. on where to go and how to go. That's important for us, isn't it? Not only the, the action to move, but then in the movement, what we're doing, listening to understand the path we're supposed to take as we're doing it. Yes. And again, this is the path. This is the way we're shown through the traditions of the church, the traditional devotion to the holy guardian angels. You know, And as long as we stay within that path, we're doing well. I, 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 I guess I should throw up a warning here that there's a lot of crazy teaching on angels that's out there, not from mm-hmm. the church, but from new age sources, that there are all kinds of people who are selling courses on angels and promising to show you how many angels you have and all that stuff. And really, they have no authority to do this, and they have no knowledge on which to base this. And And it's a dangerous matter. You can open yourself to the occult if you start fooling around with these superhuman beings. And you have to recognize that there are fallen angels who have malicious intent toward you and toward your life and toward Jesus. So you have to be very careful about what you do, but as long as you stay with the tradition, as long as you follow in the path of great saints like Padre Pio, like St. Jose Maria Escriva, who were devoted to the guardian angels, but I'd say especially like St. Joseph, they show us the way that's safe, the way of our tradition, and we'll benefit immensely from that if we do what they do. Now, you didn't ask me to do this, but I'm going to do it for folks because I think it's real important for them as they they want to grow in the relationship with angels. You do have two incredible books on this, The Year with the Angels, which helped me to grow in appreciation and love and relationship with the angels, and also Angels of God, the Bible, the Church, and the Heavenly Hosts. You have really given us some incredible helps in opening our eyes, Mike to the reality of this beautiful gift, really, that we have in relationship with the angels. Well, thank you for bringing that up, Chris. And I I, I do have those two books. I also have a third book on the angels called Entertaining Angels, which is a Bible study that goes through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's available from St. Benedict Press. So yes, this has been an ongoing interest of mine down through the ages. Uh, So of course, St. Joseph often comes up in my study. Well, I just ordered that last one. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I've left some for other people. There you go. <laughs> I'm just so excited. Any final thoughts, Mike? One final thought is that there's this tradition among certain theologians that St. Joseph was tagged by God, was assigned by God to be Jesus' guardian angel. And, mm. and as a result, St. Joseph was given the gifts of every single order of heavenly being, spiritual being, that, that he could have. And he, he was given the grace to excel those orders in their virtues, their particular virtues. This is a remarkable thing. It's not Catholic doctrine, but it's the speculation of some revered theologians from down through history. So I just wanted to throw that out there, that uh, St. Joseph is known as the angelic man for his contacts with angels, but also because he received certain gifts that are like the gifts of the angels. And 
in many cases, we receive these gifts too. And we have to acknowledge that, discern them, and go forward with the, the kind of confidence that Joseph had, because we know we'll always have heaven's help. Because like St. Joseph, we're always carrying Christ with us, carrying him out into a world that does not recognize him, perhaps, and, and does not acknowledge his lordship. So we receive the help from heaven that we need to go forward in our lives, just as Joseph received that angelic help to go forward in his life as the guardian of the Holy Family. Thank you so much, Mike Aquilina. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. This has been a wonderful conversation. I love St. Joseph, and I love the angels. Do you really? I can't tell. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Thanks again for having me. Look forward to the next conversation. You've been listening to St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina. To learn more about this subject, you can purchase the book St. Joseph and His World, on which this series is based. Visit scepterpublishers.org, the website for the publisher, Scepter Publishers. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the Discerning Hearts free app. This has been a production of the Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will please pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation which is fully tax-deductible to help support our effort. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for St. Joseph and His World with Mike Aquilina.